You're listening to Midi Storytime, part of the Spare Change Library. This week we're reading the latest chapter of The Bride of the Tomb by Mrs. Alex McVeigh Miller. Chapter 30. Lily Lawrence leaned back in the physician's carriage and wept silently as she was whirled onward to her new prison. Her companions were very taciturn. Dr. Pratt was driving and gave the most of his attention to his task. Beyond one or two questions as to her comfort, he did not address either Lily or Colville. The latter sat entirely silent opposite the young girl through the whole time. At length, after several miles of rapid driving, the carriage came to a pause, and the young girl was lifted out in front of a large frowning brick edifice which loomed up gloomily in the darkness of the chilly night. She was led up a flight of stone steps, and Dr. Pratt rang the bell. The summons was quickly answered by a small dark man, who showed surprise at the visit, but welcomed Dr. Pratt with the cordiality of an old friend. Dr. Heath, this is Mr. Colville, a friend of mine, said Dr. Pratt as they stepped into the hall. We have brought you a patient in the person of this young lady. Indeed, said the host, bowing gracefully to these two new acquaintances and ushering them into a small reception room on the right. Pray take seats, my friends, and draw near the fire. The night is raw and chilly. Mr. Colville placed a comfortable chair near the fire for Lily, and she sat down and held out her numbed hands to the cheerful blaze that burned on the hearth. Dr. Heath took a seat near her, regarding her with looks of surprise and admiration. Her colorless beauty shone out like a lily indeed from the dark hood over her head. She looks very ill, said he, in an undertone to his colleague, and unseen by Lily, he tapped his forehead significantly. Dr. Pratt gave a shy, affirmative nod. She has been very ill, he answered, and has had a tiresome drive tonight in addition. Perhaps it would be better to let her have some refreshments and retire at once. I wish to have a private conversation with you. Dr. Heath retired to give the necessary order. Lily's blue eyes turned upon her captors with a look of dread in their soft depths. Dr. Pratt, said she, what new trials am I about to experience here? None at all, I hope, said he smoothly. Your health is visibly declining, Miss Lawrence, and I have concluded to place you under the constant care of my friend, Dr. Heath. I think you will find this a more comfortable place than old Haiti Leverett's, and you will have kinder treatment. I shall leave orders for a rather more generous diet than has been lately allowed you, for I fear your constitution may be ruined by your recent course of starvation. Yet I must say your own obstinacy brought it upon you. One kind word from your lips to Mr. Colville would have placed every luxury at your command." And I would rather die than speak that word, said Lily, with a scornful curl of her beautiful lip. You will change your mind, doubtless, before you have remained long in this place, said Mr. Colville, in a tone so significant that she stared and looked at him keenly, as if trying to fathom its hidden meaning. But she could not read the expression on his face, and dropped her eyes with a weary sigh. Dr. Heath came in, followed by a neat young woman with a large and apparently very strong frame. She came in and stood behind Lily's chair. This young woman will attend you to your room, said Dr. Heath, with a polite bow. I dare say you are tired and would like to seek repose. Mr. Colville approached Lily and bent down to say softly, I may not see you again for several weeks, Lily, but if you should change your mind and wish to recall me sooner, you need only signify it to Dr. Heath, and he will communicate with me at once. I am not likely to change my mind, she answered coldly, turning from him and following the strong-limbed young woman out of the room. Her guide led her up a stairway and along a wide hall with a number of closed doors on each side. At length, she paused and threw open the door, saying politely, This will be your room for the present, miss. Thus addressed, Lily stepped reluctantly across the threshold and looked around her. She found herself in a small and neatly furnished room. 
The floor was covered with a bright warm carpet, a nicely cushioned chair was drawn before a comfortable fire, and a tray containing refreshments was placed on a little stand in front of it. The attendant entered behind her and closed the door. "'Allow me to assist you,' said she, removing Lily's cloak and seating her in the easy chair before the fire. Lily's lip quivered slightly at the gentle kindness of the woman's tone. Poor girl! Harshness and coldness and threatening had become the only familiar sounds to her ears. This woman, though she looked young herself, assumed a motherly tone like one talking to a sick child. "'You would like a cup of tea, I reckon,' said she, pouring out the fragrant beverage and putting in cream and sugar. "'And a bit of this toast and cold chicken? You look very cold and tired, my dear.' "'Thank you,' answered Lily, taking the tea and drinking it thirstily. After her long fast upon bread and water, the food tasted simply delicious to her. She did not know how much its quality was sweetened by the kind looks of her attendant, who sat by and watched her with a good-natured smile on her round and rosy face. "'Perhaps you would like me to help you to bed before I take away the tray,' said she, as Lily finished her tea and leaned back wearily in her chair. "'Thanks. Presently I will avail myself of your kindness. But now I wish to ask you some questions,' said Lily, quietly. "'Yes, miss,' said the kind woman." but she looked at Lily with a great deal of surprise at her tone. "'What is your name?' inquired the young prisoner. "'Mary Brown, if you please, miss,' answered the woman in her kind, soothing tone. "'You live here, I suppose, Mary,' pursued the young girl. "'Yes, miss.' "'Then, Mary, I wish you would tell me what kind of a house this is. I have been fancying that it must be a hospital, as there seems to be a resident physician. Am I right?' "'Oh, yes, miss. Certainly this is a hospital. We have a number of sick people here,' said the woman, like one humoring an inquisitive child." But don't you wish to retire now, miss? It's about midnight, I should think. In a minute, Mary. Tell me first, is it a public hospital? Oh, no, miss. It's perfectly private and very select indeed. We receive none but first-class people here. We don't indeed. She was turning down the covers of the bed as she spoke, and now she said persuasively, Come now, let me help you to bed, miss. I want to tuck you up warm and comfortable before I leave you. Lily submitted patiently, but as she laid her tired head on the pillow, she asked suddenly, "'Is Dr. Heath a good man, Mary?' "'La, now, miss, you must judge of that yourself. You will see him often enough before you get well,' said Mary Brown. Lily was about to open her lips to refute the charge of her illness, when she was suddenly interrupted by the sound of a wild and piercing shriek, which seemed to come from the room that was next to her own. In her alarm, she sprang up and caught Mary Brown's arms in both hers, shuddering with surprise and terror. "'Oh!' "'What is it?' she cried, as the wild shriek was repeated again and again, mingled with frenzied shouts and peal after peal of frightful demonic laughter. "'It's only one of the sick ones, miss,' said Mary Brown uneasily. "'Don't fret yourself, my dear. Lie down again. He will soon be quiet, and then you can go to sleep.' A horrible suspicion flashed into Lily's mind. "'Mary Brown, you have been deceiving me with your kind face and friendly talk. This is not a hospital for the sick.' It is a private madhouse, is it not? Well, it is for people who are sick in their heads, admitted Mary. You mean for people who are insane, said she, holding tightly to the woman's arm. Mary Brown nodded acquiescence. Lily was silent a moment, lost in painful thought. At length, she said sadly, I hope you do not think that I am insane, Mary Brown. Oh, dear no, miss, said Mary in her placid tone. Of course not. "'But you do believe it. I can see that plainly,' cried Lily in an anguished tone. "'You have been humoring and petting me, taking me for some insane creature. "'But I assure you I am not. I am perfectly sane, though I have suffered cruelty and injustice enough to have driven me mad long ago. "'I have been brought here by two wicked men to be made prisoner, because I will not marry a man whom I hate.' "'You poor injured dear,' 
said the good nurse, affecting to believe the young girl's story, though in her heart she set it down simply as one of the vagaries of madness. You do not believe me, cried Lily passionately. Oh, God, is this crowning insult to be added to my sufferings? Must they represent me as mad and thus drive me into insanity indeed? The attendant began to think that her beautiful and gentle patient was becoming violent. She gently but forcibly released her arms from Lily's clasp and laid the moaning girl back on her pillow. My dear, she said, you must not excite yourself. You look too ill to stand agitation. I must go now and help Dr. Heath to manage that poor shrieking maniac in the next room. Try and go to sleep, my pretty dear. She drew the warm covers up carefully over the patient, brushed back the disordered golden hair with a coarse but kindly hand, extinguished the light, and, taking up the tray of dishes, went out, carefully locking the door after her. In the hall, she encountered Dr. Heath about entering the room of the shrieking patient. He paused at sight of her. How is your new patient? he inquired abruptly. A little excited at present, sir. She appeared very quiet and sensible at first, but after the violent patient began his shrieks, she became violent and wild, sir. Did she tell you her name? he inquired. Mary Brown replied in the negative. Her case is rather peculiar, said Dr. Heath. She is the victim of a strange hallucination. A wealthy young lady of New York committed suicide last summer under very romantic circumstances. This young person imagines herself to be the identical young lady who killed herself and asserts that she was resurrected by a physician and his friend who detain her in Durance Vile because the latter wishes to marry her. She will tell you her story, of course. Do not contradict her, but gently humor her. She will not give you much trouble, I think, as it is a mere case of melancholy madness. The young lady she personates was named Miss Lawrence. Be particular and call her by that name, Mary. I will, sir, said Mary, passing on. That concludes this week's installment of The Bride of the Tomb. This production of The Bride of the Tomb features the voice talents of Laura Bang and Damien Katz. Chris Hallberg voices the intro and outro narratives. The theme music is The Guava Rag by Brett Donnelly. Midi Storytime in the Spare Chambers Library produced by Lancelot Darling and Friends. This podcast is brought to you by DimeNovels.org, the Edward T. LeBlanc Memorial Dime Novel Bibliography.